This is the ICO Alert Podcast, episode 29. I'm your host, Robert Finch, founder of ICO Alert. ICO Alert maintains the only comprehensive list of every single initial coin offering. That includes all of the active ICOs that are happening now, as well as all of the upcoming ICOs. You can check out the full list on our website at icoalert.com. We are back with our second ICO Alert roundtable. We have a, a couple new faces on the podcast today, a couple people that were here in the last roundtable that aren't in this one. Uh, but it was a really interesting discussion, talked about kind of the current state of the market. We answered some questions from you all on Twitter. So thank you so much for sending those topics over. Uh, as a quick matter of disclosure, uh, we are talking about some coins in this podcast that the members of the podcast do own. Uh, these coins are Civic, EOS, Walton Chain, and Zero X. So we're being totally transparent there. Uh, additionally, please do not take any of this podcast or the content we talk about as legal investment, financial, or tax advice. We're not giving advice here. We're simply talking about the current state of the market and our opinions on that market. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right, we are back with another roundtable episode. Uh, we got a lot of good feedback from last time. People seem to enjoy us kind of talking about everything from shit coins to new ICOs to the state of the market. Um, this week, we did it a little bit differently and asked you guys on Twitter at ICO Alert to send us some topics that you wanted us to cover. Um, I think before we get started, let's do a quick little introduction again. We have a, a few new faces here uh, on the roundtable. For example, Mike's not here this time. Uh, I, once again, am Rob. I'm the CEO at ICO Alert. Uh, hi, my name is Dmitry Chesnikov, and I'm ICO Relationship Bob, Client Manager. Hey, I'm Ryan Dennis, Client Relationship Manager. Joseph Argiro, Data Analyst. Uh, Zach Gall, another Data Analyst. Zach Quezada, VP of Business Development. I didn't know it was Argiro. Argyro, not Argyro. Argyro, Argyrio, I've gotten a lot. Wow, I'm learning a lot. The, uh, so that's who's on the podcast today. Got a, a couple new faces. Um, Q, I understand some people are tweeting at us about topics. Okay, let's go into the first one. So we asked on Twitter, let's go to the profile real quick. On Twitter, we asked for some crypto or ICO topics that you'd like to hear discussed, and we got a lot of good ones. So I guess I'll just start from the bottom, and probably the most detailed one. Uh, tell us about IC. Okay, so Rabbi Azizi, Rabbi Azizi, at Rabbi Azizi two says, "Tell us about ICOs that offer master nodes, please, and be more straightforward about junk ICOs." Ooh, well, I can start. Uh, there is a master node program for Walton Chain. Mm -hmm. Walton Chain gives you a master node for having five thousand um, Walton Chain coins and you actually do have a say in the participation and distribution of how the tokens are used moving forward. A lot of ICOs say they're gonna do that, but a Molten Chain has passed the ICO period and they're actually doing that. So um, there's, they also have a stage called a Guardian Master Node, which sounds like something from StarCraft, um, but uh, it, it, it actually obviously has a little bit more autonomy in it, so. Awesome, what's the difference between a Guardian and a normal Master Node? Um, I just think the amount of benefits you get with regard to how many tokens you get back, you know, they just make it they make it so you almost never want to sell it. So you have to hold more than 5,000? Right, and okay. the Walton Chain chat on Telegram is very, very detailed, and actually they, there are people who stalk the uh, the charts, 
So if somebody sells more than 5,000 Walton Chain at any point, everybody freaks out on the Telegram. <laughs> <laughs> Which one are you sold? Yeah. It was a master node. That's great. I think that's, as far as active ICOs, I don't know of any active ones that have master nodes. That seems like something that gets announced later after the ICO closes. True. Um, but we'll keep an eye out if anything pops up. What else are people asking? Let's see. Rocco at Obstropolis. The growing trend in relation to private pay placement with airdrops and how it affects the ecosystem. Private placement? The growing trend in relation to private placement with airdrops. I mean, we could talk, I'm not sure I understand the talk, but we talk about airdrops in general. There's a big one coming up. Everopedia. <laughs> so um, EOS has announced a, a new way of kind of doing ICO funding uh, via VC funding, which um, their first airdrop token is going to be for a company called Everopedia, which was founded by the... Um, founder, one of the co-founders of Wikipedia, actually. Larry Sanger. Larry Sanger. And they are going to be launching their ICO on the EOS platform. And rather than charging the um, token recipients um, for the tokens, like in a typical ICO, they're actually going to airdrop their tokens to EOS token holders, and they're being funded through a development grant um, from the funds raised in the EOS ICO, if that makes sense. I think Rob could do a yeah. better job of explaining this. Basically, Block One, the company who makes the EOS software, has committed a billion dollars of capital into funding dApps. So a lot of these dApps, instead of running a traditional ICO where you'd see it on ICO alert and say, oh, wow, I can put in X amount of money and get XIQ tokens, instead, the only way to get those tokens is to hold EOS tokens because they're just doing a pure airdrop instead of an ICO. And they're getting their funds directly for Block One instead. So that's this is the first of many. I think they... Block One contributed along with Galaxy Digital, uh, Mike Novogratz's new VC fund. I think it was $35 million. So there's still a ton of room in there for the other billion dollars um, to be spent on other ICOs. So it's the first of many airdrops. But really the most interesting component is that you can't buy it otherwise. So when did airdrops actually like become a thing in the blockchain space, in the cryptocurrency space? And why, for the newer users, why would a, an ICO have an airdrop? That's a good question. I think... The first time I noticed them was probably, it might have been last year, maybe end of 2016, but really last year. Because, I mean, if you think about the current structure of a lot of these tokens, they're airdropping to the list of token holders, which you can see on the blockchain. Like, you can go to Etherscan and see everybody that owns EOS, mm. and then they're just dropping to that list. So before that, it was never really possible to do a, a full airdrop. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I know. What, what they used to do, or what I've seen, not, I don't know if they still probably do. But a lot of tokens who raise a traditional ICO, like a couple months after their tokens are released, they'll occasionally do an airdrop to all Ethereum token holders based on the weight of the Ethereum that they have in their private wallets. Like Omai's oh Go has done this. It's it just it's a way of them to promote their own ICO or not. They're not ICOs anymore, but their own tokens, because someone who has Ethereum in their wallet back a couple months ago, um, not everyone knew what OMG was. So one day you log into your wallet, you check your wallet, and you have this OMG token. You're like, what's OMG? Mm -hmm. So you look, up, uh, you look up OMG, and you find out, hey, I got some of my Go tokens. Cool. So that, that, that was uh, the airdrops I've seen in the past were from coins that were already distributed and paid, like, bought in different ways, and they'd airdrop for promotion. Yeah. Buyers beware, though, because when I started getting into the actual trading and looking at different coins to actually buy, all over the place, this is like the beginning of 2017, I was seeing airdrop, airdrop, airdrop. 
and a lot of people scams. got scammed. There's a lot of scams. So, you know, I think that when you look at the term airdrop, uh, be weary, okay? Please be careful. Make sure that you're verifying where you, if you're actually going to get these tokens from somebody else. Make sure that you, you're talking to somebody else who maybe has already gotten their tokens from this airdrop. Also, there's a program that we actually partnered with, Clearify, to kind of avoid scammy airdrops and things of that mm -hmm. nature as well. Yeah, the number one thing is do your own research. If you get a private message on do Telegram or a private message on Slack or a private message on Reddit anywhere telling you about an airdrop, it's probably a scam. And if you have to enter in your private key or your password or any oh. kind of security measure you wouldn't otherwise share, then it's probably also a scam because they don't need any personal info from you to do an airdrop. They just need that list which they can already and find on the blockchain. Always double check the URL of this airdrop promotion because it's probably a very similar URL to the official one, but it's not the official one. If you ever see anything advertising an airdrop, always check the official channels of whatever company or project it's for, and you'll, you'll probably see that it's not actually a real airdrop. Ultimately, I think airdrops are probably going to be an even bigger trend in 2018, even if it's only because of EOS, just because we're going to have a, a significant amount of heavily funded dApps in like the tens of million range doing free airdrops to EOS holders. So I think it's going to be one of the big themes, uh, especially since it's the most widely distributed ICO ever. They can immediately distribute their token pretty widely. Speaking of EOS, yeah. EOS Finex was announced this week. Yes. You want to explain what that is? Uh, as far as I know, um, Bitfinex um, is working towards decentralizing their exchange, and they chose EOS as the platform that had the scalability to do it. Um, I, I don't know where that's going to put Ethfinex because that was something that they're also working on. I think they're still probably going to do that because they're using Xerox protocol on that, and that's to swap um, Ethereum tokens, which would allow you to have pairs with any Ethereum token. So you'd be able to trade like Omai's oh Go for ZRX, or um, any two Ethereum tokens can be swapped. So it's not always like a Bitcoin or an Ethereum pair. Um, so that'll be really cool. But the EOS Finex, that not a lot of information has been announced on it yet. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see because theoretically, I mean, EOS supports the Ethereum virtual machine. So you could theoretically run all of those same trading pairs for all the ERC-20s on EOS Finex. Like, it'll be interesting if that, like you're saying, if it gets rid of that Finex or if they exist simultaneously. Mm -hmm. so, so for most of our audience, I think they're going to be using centralized exchanges like mm -hmm. Binance, like what, uh, Bittrex. <coughs> right. uh, what is the benefit of a decentralized exchange? So it really comes down to maintaining control of your assets. So when you want to trade on, say, a Binance or a Coinbase or something like that, you're actually depositing your coins into the exchange, uh -huh. and you're trusting that when you want to do withdrawal that they're going to give them back to you, or that the exchange won't go down like Binance recently, and everybody's exactly. freaking out about are they solvent, are they not? Obviously, it turns out they're a good company. They have all the money. It was just a tech issue. But. So all the trades are then atomic swaps? Like, they happen? Is that is that how it occurs? On, on, a, on a centralized exchange, it's just in their own system. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, with the decentralized exchanges, it's atomic right. swaps. It's like we're trading. And the buy and sell happens in the same transaction. Okay. So if you're selling 100 ZRX, and I'm giving you one Ether for that, the we make that swap, and it happens in the same transaction, so you can't get screwed over. But the biggest differentiator is that you're maintaining control of your assets, usually on like a hardware wallet like a ledger or in your own wallet while you're trading on the exchange. So you never have counterparty risk of the exchange like Mt. Gox or all these other Cripsy, Bitfinex one, at one point in time. There was a big one uh, last week or two, uh, a company called BitGrail uh, oh, yeah. was hacked. $150 million worth of uh, nano slash rail block tokens were stolen. And pretty much everyone who had their tokens stored on that exchange 
well, they don't have any tokens anymore. And it was the exchange's fault for having a vulnerability. And because they didn't own their private keys, they lost their tokens. So that, that's, that, that happens time and time again. And that could be avoided with a decentralized exchange where you control your private keys. It's, it's crazy how much money these centralized ex- exchanges are making. Oh, yeah. Like CoinCheck happened a week prior to that. To, yep. to the, and they said they're going to pay. I, I don't know the exact details, but from what I heard, they're going to pay the half a billion dollars. Yeah, and they're going to pay their, they, yeah. they said they're paying their investors back. That's what's so crazy. It's like, oh, we lost a half a billion. No worries. We'll just take it out for yeah. profit and like it's give unreal. it back to you. I mean, Bit, Bitfinex was hacked a while ago and they made up a token as kind of like an IOU. Oh, yeah. And everyone who's involved in that hack has a small piece of equity in Bitfinex's profits, like yeah. in perpetuity. And also when, last week, we had Binance, right? They were down for a little bit. Everyone was terrified. I, my question is, is, when they're doing repairs or something like that, or they're going down and you're not sure, mm-hmm. how can you, what do you go to? What do you ask about what's going on? Yeah, my thing was they were really transparent with what was yes. going on. They were super transparent. And before it actually went down, they said it's going down. Now, I know you have like, you have situations where like a Twitter can be hacked, but they would have needed to hack Binance's account and the the owner or the yeah, CEO. CZ, CZ was also happened, tweeting. Every every two hours they were updating. That, that that's was, the thing. That's yeah. the best case scenario. Like no one likes downtime, mm-hmm. and also they allowed. So, so one of the biggest issues was what if you had a trade open, and then as soon as uh, Binance would relaunch, the prices could have changed dramatically over that day or two. So they gave an hour buffered time from the time Binance came back online to allow you to open or close your trades, which wow, was great too. Nice. Yeah, because that could have really screwed you over. You have a buy order or a sell order for cheap Bitcoin and the price went up by 20%. Right. You don't want to sell that cheap Bitcoin. I'm really curious to see how long it takes the centralized exchanges to disrupt centralized exchanges. Because what's the point? At a certain point, if it's easy, if it's just as easy or maybe even easier to use a decentralized exchange than a centralized one, and you know you always have control over your funds, what's even the point of using... I think right now the issue is up to up until now none of the decentralized exchanges could handle uh, the scalability of the order books. Right. Right. Um, so what were the two big ones? There's ZRX. There was another Ethereum one. Uh, well, Binance is centralized. Shoot. Yeah. And that's why they. That's why uh, Ether that, Delta is the other. One. I thought John oh, said that Delta. they wanted to make it centralized so that transaction speed is far none. You know, in terms of speed and. Um, on that same question on Twitter, the brother master knows they wanted us to be more straightforward about junk ICOs. Mm-hmm. And so like BitConnect is an example of a junk ICO and exchange, uh-huh. right? So are there any, I, I thought I mean, we have Dimitri here, you know, who's very good. Um, his background in finance is stellar and he is really good at kind of looking at ICOs and saying what's trash, what's not. I really want to hear Dimitri's <laughs> opinion on like when he's looking at an ICO, just frankly, like what do you, how do you know something's junk or, or shitcoin or not? Well, yeah, there, there are many like, categories that uh, I look at, essentially, when I first evaluate the ICO. Um, you know, first thing is, when, when you arrive on their page and you can't find uh, the team there, that's a pretty, much, <laughs> you know, pretty big uh, red flag there. Um, you want to have the face of the company. You want to meet the, meet the guys and you know, see what their, um, what's their background in relation to the project. Um, in addition to that, you know, the main thing that you want to look for is is the basic thing is the actual website secure. Um, remember, Joe, uh, the other day you showed me it was it one of the ICOs that didn't have the HTTPS uh, uh, website address. Yeah, surprisingly, there's a there's a large number of ICOs that haven't even secured their own web page, so that um, 
any information that's passed over the website can be viewed by anyone who's looking. Yep. And then um, going into like Telegram channels, social uh, social media, taking a look at the uh, followers, how many members they have, uh, what are they talking about uh, in the Telegram? Because I've come across projects where uh, the admin would not answer any questions in the Telegram, and and the questions that were raised were very like valid points and essentially exposing that this is like a, a scammy ICO. Uh, and and they uh, avoided the answering those questions. So that, the, all those uh, red flags uh, pretty much filters that, that I use when I, when I look at um, uh, evaluating ICO. What do you guys want to add to that? I mean, yeah, that's a good point. It's also pretty easy to do a reverse Google image search. Like if, you just, if you're in Chrome and you right click, for example, the image of the CEO on the website, you can hit reverse image search by Google or whatever the, the text is, and it'll show you where that image exists. That's a very easy way to find out, like, oh, are these photos even real, or are they pulling these photos from some random person, you know, that's not even associated with the project? Another thing I like to look at is on the white papers. Um, all of the legit ICOs have a ton of legal speak in their terms and conditions in their white papers, but I've seen some really thin white papers that are missing all of the legal and regulational talk that, that uh, like educates the, the potential buyer on, on what kind of like the terms and conditions of the ICO sale. If it's missing that, that means they didn't do their legal homework. That means they probably didn't buy a legal team. So, something's fishy with that if they don't have a lot of uh, legalese in, in the ICO uh, white papers themselves. I like pretty colors. Pretty colors? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm so it's a, a nice it's black and white website. <laughs> no go. No go. Red flag. No, no, I'm joking. Um, one thing that I, I don't put too much stock into, uh, which I did at first when I was a new ICO investor, is the YouTube videos. Mm. Like I used to be like, oh, that, that's a really well done YouTube video. They must have a really good team. But I feel like one, some of these, to put it, junk ICOs, I feel like could hire someone easily to do that. And I think they do do that to kind of... There, what's there's that? companies who pretty much target ICOs yeah. now. They're, they're yeah. professional video so, makers. They're really good animators. They're good at what they do, but that doesn't mean it's good ICO. Exactly. So be wary of that, man. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I see that another person asked about, you know, upcoming current ICO watch list um, based on like stuff they may see on our website or not. Um, if Also, like if you go to icoalert.com, you know, shameless plug, but we do really thorough reports. And if you're looking up an ICO that nobody's heard about and you don't, you're not sure, just go through one of our reports and kind of compare it to the research you're doing and seeing if you can kind of compare and contrast in any way, shape, or form all the different dots. Like, is there distribution information? Is there information on when you're going to get your tokens or anything like that? And if there's a lot of missing spaces, then you know, are you really, are you really confident that you're going to be investing in something or you're just sending somebody your crypto? Mm -hmm. So true. Who was that that asked the question? Well, somebody asked um, about the junk ICOs, and, and I noticed that somebody else, um, it's, it looks like Crypto Axelrod. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's Crypto Axelrod. Shout out to you. Uh, he said, uh, state of the market, keep seeing people claim we are in the mainstream adoption mode. I disagree. We aren't in the adoption mode until I can buy Starbucks with crypto. So here's, I don't think we're in the mainstream adoption mode. I think we're about to enter the the institution adoption mode. But the, the main thing that I hear when I talk to people is custody. Because a lot of the, the current, if you don't know how like a hedge fund structure works, a lot of their legal agreements are set up where a hedge fund doesn't want to take on all the liability and in some cases legally can't take on the liability of storing all those assets. They need custody as it is now with you know 
securities, stocks, bond, they have somebody who's custodying those assets. And the biggest piece that's missing in crypto right now from an institutional standpoint for those funds to invest is some kind of custody. Because they, they may not have the education or they don't want to take on the liability or they can't take on the liability to store it. And nobody's really solved the custody piece yet that I've talked to. I've talked to somebody recently, like uh, in the last couple of weeks, about their custody solution. And there were a lot of holes in terms of like, oh, if those, the question I asked was, is it possible for your team to just steal all this money? And he was like, not impossible, but would be very difficult. Like it, all it requires is three people to collude to steal all the money, and that's not a safe enough custody solution. So somebody has to come up with a way, whether it's through like a creative multi-sig wallet or time locks or something else to really store this stuff securely, where it's not just like, oh, the team, you know, we have $10 billion now in our vault, we can take it and leave. Because people have, have done a lot more to steal a lot less in the past. Yeah, I've seen some um, I've seen some ICOs we've done reports on recently that are doing zero chain and zero storage things. Where, for example, um, Adamant is not keeping any storage or data with regard to um, their messaging program. So they're just basically they're making an instant messenger that's very anonymous. And they said not even they have access to any of the conversations as a team internally. That's something that makes me feel good because they don't have a reason to. Uh, kind of watch in on things, and that came up. The question came up in the report because WhatsApp, which was the first end-to-end quote-unquote encrypted um, messenger, you know, if you if you look at it, the team in WhatsApp, they can actually insert themselves into any chat they want to. What? And then they can actually dismantle the chat or take information from that. So yeah, your chat is private, but that doesn't mean nobody else can jump in. Yeah, and if anybody can jump in, then it's not private. Right. That's crazy. Another uh, mainstream adoption. Uh, big thing that just came up is Coinbase Commerce uh, just was released, I think, a week ago. And it's actually something we're working on internally for some tools. But it's, it's pretty much going to let anyone uh, with a shopping cart built on WordPress, WooCommerce, Magento, or Zencart, and a few others. Those, those are the major uh, shopping cart tools that your standard e-commerce sites use. It's going to allow any of those sites to start accepting uh, cryptocurrency through through a Coinbase account, and you don't have to actually have a Coinbase account to, to buy things from those websites. You would check out, um, if you've ever uh, shopped online, sometimes you'll see the option of entering your credit card, but then there's another button that lets you uh, use like a PayPal login. It'll be very similar to that, where you're just going to click the Coinbase button, and then you're gonna, uh, it's going to give you the public key that you send your money to. You send your money to them, and then you're going to get your products just like you paid with a credit card or PayPal. So RIP all payment ICOs, basically. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's like the, there are so many blockchains that are one feature. Like, oh, we're doing payment. Like, well, what makes you different than Bitcoin or any of those people? Oh, we have lower fees. Okay, great. But a lot of these ICOs that are launching their own blockchain, I think, really are just dApps, and they don't have a good platform to launch them on yet. We're like, for example, if Steemit was running a year from now, Steemit may build on EOS versus or another platform versus building on their own blockchain. I think a lot of this is the same way. Like you'll have an ICO that, hey, we're running a blockchain for a decentralized marketplace for X, and that really doesn't need its own blockchain. It can eventually just be a DAP on a blockchain. Mm. But I think the payments is a good example of like a single feature that there, this entire ICO and this whole blockchain is designed to do one feature when really it's 
that's not sustainable long term. It doesn't make sense. The other thing about Coinbase Commerce, because there's other sites that have accepted cryptocurrency. Overstock.com's accepted it for a while now, and I think Shapeshift has some tools that <laughs> let it. BitPay has a pretty good tool to let allow you to accept it. But I think they have fees for both, like pretty bad fees for the end user, for, for the person purchasing the oh, products, right. and for the company that's selling the products. But um, from our own research, uh, Coinbase uh, Commerce. Uh, from the merchant themselves, they charge zero percent for the first million dollars of of sales, and then only one percent after that. So that's lower than credit card fees, actually. Yeah, definitely. Wow, that's game changing. The problems that it'll solve for our business are definitely worth one percent. And props, huge shout out to Justin O'Brien over at Coinbase. Um, we were originally needed a tool like this several months ago last year, and we we're working with them on kind of building it out. It turned into eventually Coinbase Commerce, but. A lot of what we talked about in terms of fees and stuff like that eventually was incorporated. I'm sure we weren't the only people in the process. There were many others. But thanks to Justin for putting out a really good product with Coinbase Commerce. Well, so that brings up a, that brings up another conversation, right? You guys talking about interest rates and the, the kind of the tax on it. Yeah. Is how many of you guys have paid your crypto taxes? Whoa, whoa, <laughs> I've paid all my crypto taxes. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> the IRS is listening. Well, this is going to be the... I bring it up because... Um, one of our writers wrote an article about crypto taxation without representation because the SEC a couple weeks ago was going pretty hard. They were having hearings, they're having meetings, and um, the past couple weeks a lot of new rules have come out. And I went through it with uh, my tax guy, and we were—he was running through it with me—and he was basically like, you know, some people can try to run and hide, but anybody who's day trading a ton of things, they're going to have a lot of surprises when they when they do or don't do their taxes. And he, he made an interesting point, which I thought was funny, was I think if you're investing in crypto, you kind of feel like you're running away from the government. You're like, I'm getting away, like you can't chase me. But what he said is like, that's fair like to have that opinion, but the truth is the government knows that this is the biggest thing happening in money. Yeah. So this is actually the first place they're looking with, with regard yeah. to you know, who they're gonna be hunting yeah. down. Well, and it's also transparent in terms of like the records. I mean, they can go on the blockchain. If they get, for example, the the list of however many tens of thousands of people at Coinbase who've transacted over ten thousand dollars, then get that list and see all the outgoing transactions and trace it on a blockchain to some extent. And, and for people that don't know, that's already happened, right? The IRS yeah. already. They, yeah. they took it to Coinbase, took it to court, or I think a couple anonymous Coinbase members took it to, to, to all the way up to Congress, and they said, "Oh no, it's too too far reaching." But you can still get all the info of people who have transacted more than ten grand on Coinbase within 2017. And so if you've done that. You should pay your taxes. You should pay your taxes anyway, but now especially <laughs> you should pay your we taxes. Ta we talked about this in our little work group text message of identity on the blockchain. Like It's only a matter of time until identity is going to be a requirement for a lot of things. Not for everything. There's always going to be uh, space for things like Monero and things like that. But to invest in a lot of ICOs, for instance, you're gonna a lot of them are already doing KYC, but you're going to have an identity token on the blockchain like Civic or there's a lot of other companies doing it too. That's um, but once identity is on the blockchain, it's game over. And if you think you could run from the government now, if they don't have the tools already to trace everything, here's, they will. Here's the thing about identity. Identity on the blockchain is like a very fine line because you can go too far and then we're in some weird like one world order big brother scenario where everything's tracked and, oh, your ID doesn't meet the right reputation scores, you're locked out. It's going to be it's gonna be interesting to see how it all plays out because the benefit of crypto is you can decentralize and almost get outside of that form of ID, but if we're going back to it, there's a lot. There's some trade-offs, I feel like. Mm. Obviously, yeah. it's decentralized, so it's a lot better than a centralized digital ID system, but I don't know. It's, it can be sketchy. It, that, and that's so funny because it, and, and the word is probably ironic. That yeah. if, if this technology that was created <laughs> for Bitcoin and all this decentralization actually makes it so 
it's more centralized. It would be it, very ironic. Yeah, it would be incredibly ironic. Fortunately, theoretically, you can't. I mean, right now, I guess people could collude, like the top Ethereum miners or Bitcoin miners, they could collude to block your transaction. But as long as wherever the main form of digital ID, as long as that's on a public, fully decentralized blockchain, I think we'll be fine. Because then you can't. Only individuals then can choose to not accept payments from other people, or there can't be one overarching power who says, you can't send that payment to this person. I, I think identity would be interesting, too, because you don't have to necessarily give up your like government identity. So think of it like you're, you're using a coupon on, on a, a shopping site, and they, they don't want you to keep reusing the same coupon over and over again and creating new accounts. So they could use biometric data, for instance, to just verify that you've never created an account before, but they don't know your, your name or your address or anything. They just know that you've never created an account mm -hmm. because they, they could track like either through facial recognition or through a fingerprint to say, okay, this guy's never used this coupon before. Or this guy's trying to use it more than once. Like that's, there's, there's a lot of identity, uh, ways to handle identity without actually saying like they're going to have like all your information on your passport or your driver's license or something like that. So like a zero knowledge proof approach. Yes. Yeah, that's a, I guess that's what Civic is, isn't it? That, that, that's why I know about it. I, I do own some Civic. I got into it a while ago. I don't have a lot anymore. Um, but it, it's really interesting what they're doing. And I know there's a ton of others in this space too since then. But that, that's kind of the idea behind it. And that was one of the solutions that that was discussed was like you can only create one account because and, and the the person the, the company like the Airbnb or whoever doesn't want you creating multiple accounts. They don't necessarily know all your private information, but they know that your private information was verified on the blockchain. Right. So like, what was that word you just used? Zero knowledge proofs. Like Zero that. knowledge proof is when you can prove something without giving them any knowledge or information of what you're proving. So they can say the the blockchain can. Tell the merchant, yes, this person is. This is Ryan Dennis who's trying to buy this thing, um, without actually giving up any of his info, like his birth date or a social security number, or any of the information that proves that to that blockchain app. Mm. It's zero, like, zero knowledge proofs are actually a, a hot topic because a lot of different applications are trying to implement this technology. Rob, can you speak on more how this this zero knowledge proof thing is being used in other applications? Yeah. I, I think it can apply to a lot of different industries and apps. I think one of the most interesting examples is like if you go to a, a nightclub and they all they need to verify from you is that you're at least 21 years of age or older, at least in the United States, mm -hmm. different everywhere. But you give them your entire ID, which has your first name, middle name, last name, your address, the date of birth, the, when your driver's license expires, the state you, you live in, all that stuff, your photo, when really all that needs to happen is that somebody needs to verify, hey, this person's over 21, they can enter the bar. And you could do that in a zero knowledge proof situation where uh, somebody builds a blockchain app and when you come in, you scan your finger. your finger or something, which is linked to your blockchain ID that says, yes, this guy's 21 and over, and you don't have to share all that personal information with the bar to actually let you in. Well, it's like if you, if you show up to the bar, this is terrible, right? But you show up to the bar and you have a receipt from like, maybe you bought like, um, I don't know, something from the, from a, corner store that requires you to be 21, mm -hmm. you know, then you can bring that receipt and say, hey, this proves I'm 21. But then they have to have a system that says, well, that grocery store, that corner store has to be legit too. Right. Right. So like it's, it's dependent on other systems. So um, like with those zero proof things, like Joe, you're saying they're a hot topic. Are, are these companies like kind of coming together? Do you see more partnerships with zero knowledge proof systems or is it more like single entities? It just seems to be a concept that's being applied to different blockchain projects, like kind of it's just a, a, a concept that's being applied, you know, in the space in general. Hmm. Yeah. And we had another question. Um, the 
somebody from John Smith at the long one. Uh, relationship of tokens versus zombie equity. Zombie equity when raising subsequent rounds of capital. Does anybody know anything about zombie equity? I've got a couple finance guys in here. Has anybody heard of that term before? Relationship. I've, I've heard of zombie tokens, which hasn't really happened yet, but it would be like, let's say any of the ICOs launching this year. What, what happens if the project pretty much is a failure and the team just stops working on it? Then you have these tokens that have some sort of value, but they're zombie tokens because there, there's no development going on in it. But that, that's a completely different I think the, thing. What he's referring to is, um, is that um, when, when you're part of an ICO and uh, it continues to do more rounds without finishing the ICO, and mm -hmm. essentially you don't get the distribution or like, you know, you don't get the, uh, don't get the tokens or it doesn't hit the exchange. So you basically threw in your ether and it's locked up for uh, for you know, that, that, that bothers me like no other. We, we get a lot of inbound listings where ICOs ask us to list them. And one of the things we ask is, what are the dates of your ICO? Nothing bothers me more whenever they have a start date, but no end date. Yeah. Because that, that, that's a red flag to me of you, you guys aren't running your ICO properly because you should have a clear end date. If I'm going to invest in an ICO on the day day one when I'm allowed to invest my Ethereum, I want to know roughly when this thing's going to be ending so I know when I'm going to get my tokens. Not having an end date is yeah. a huge red flag to me. I was adding a bunch of old ICOs to Veripedia, I guess this week or past weekend, and it was interesting because a lot of them, like, oh, just put the start date and end date, what it was originally, and then what it actually was. And some were like, oh, this was ending... This was supposed to be over in August 2018, but it or August 2017, but it actually ran through January 2018. Mm. So I think it's to answer this guy's question. I think multiple rounds in an ICO are fine, as long as it's disclosed up front, so that yeah. the people in round one know, like, oh, there's going to be four rounds instead of them just like waiting to get out of this thing as quickly as right. possible. Right, and that's very different from a company saying, okay, our ICO is going to end maybe the 30th of this month, and then the 28th of the month comes, and they say, actually, we're going to extend it three more months because we've got great support yeah. from our community. That's very different uh, because if they're saying three more months, they're still giving another definitive end date, you know, but you got to be close and watching these things, um, and it's just... It's always subjective. You got to yeah. look at the entire project and team and how much you trust it. it yeah, if they bump it back more than a week or two, I would say that. I, that better be a legit project. If or I else, I would be very yeah. sketched out. If I invest in a pre-ICO and then they extend the ICO for an extra three months, I would be, I would be so pissed. So, what are you guys' thoughts? Like, we're we're coming out of a couple weeks of a very bear market. So, I kind of give some ICOs a pass there if if yeah. they had horrible True. contributions. Uh, and it's just because nobody's investing as much during a bear market. Like, I kind of give them a pass there. Yeah. And congratulations, by the way, if you uh, hodled throughout the entire bear market. This is the second biggest percent-wise, quote-unquote, crash, dip, whatever you want to call it, um, other than Mt. Gox in 2013. And RIP to anyone that sold under 7K. Yeah. yeah. You sold and you've learned your lesson. You all did it at one point. Now you know for next time to, to hold. So another interesting thing, since we're talking about the bear market, uh, we did our data analytics recap today, and we looked at our site traffic, our, our unique users per day, our email signups per day, and I actually overlapped those charts with the Bitcoin charts. That's crazy. <laughs> and it was insane at, at how it correlated together. And there's other correlations you could do with uh, Google search history. Uh, if you look at Google Trends and search how many times Bitcoin was searched, 
and overlay that on top of the Bitcoin price chart, yeah. it's the exact it's scary. It, it is. It's it scary is. how close they are. Like you said, oh wow, look at all this Bitcoin interest yeah. that's coming up. Oh wow, look at the price go. It's, yeah, it's pretty wild. Do you guys buy into the uh, Chinese New Year thing? Because today is actually the Chinese New Year. <laughs> no. oh, that must be going yes. sideways. They're yes. buying, yes. Presents. buying presents, guys. Well, happy, happy New Year. Bull market. Yeah, happy New Year. Bull market from here on out. There was a meme in like, what, early January? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, don't worry, guys. It's just a short dip. And all the Chinese are buying presents. <laughs> <laughs> so every dip, we were like, yep. They're buying presents. presents. Don't worry. It'll be fine. <laughs> That's I'm just awesome. I'm just looking forward to alt season to come back. Yeah. I mean, this one was way overdue. Like we had tokens yes. that are just total shit coins that pumped insane amounts. Like it was good that this happened. Don't like, you name them? Oh, I want them. Not my bags. How about Giancarlo, uh, the CFTC commissioner? Oh, this guy's great. Yeah. Oh, How man. about him dropping Hodler? Superstar. Yeah. 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 Hodler is now on government record from the Senate committee here. It's a public he, record. Giancarlo, he, he defined Hodler. And if you don't know what we're talking about, both the, the chairman of the SEC, I forget his name, and the, the head of the CFTC, Giancarlo. Mark Clayton. What's his name? Mark Clayton. Mark Clayton. Clayton. Mark Clayton. Okay. They, they both had a basically a briefing with the, the United States Senate, I believe it was, mm-hmm. and basically talking to them about, you know, the actions they've taken on ICOs in the past, where they, you know, shut down the fraudulent ones and what they want to do in the future. But the quote, does anybody have the quote from Giancarlo? Something he said, Google. he said something to the effect of, we owe it to this new generation to respect their technology and basically do a thoughtful regulatory approach. So it's very bullish. I mean, it, it echoes a lot of the statements the SEC put out in the past where they validated utility token models and said they're not all securities, but many will be. Um, but it was cool to see the U.S., especially as all these other countries like China are actually trying to ban this stuff. It was, it was good to see the U.S. come out and actually have a very proactive, thoughtful I approach. That was it. kind of the start of Bitcoin's rebound also. Yeah, it was. Like, I didn't think that the Senate hearing w- w- was the reason for the dip, and I don't think it, I still don't think it was, but there, it was the uncertainty. Uncertainty is scarier I, than, than the regulation itself. The uncertainty of not knowing if it's coming. And I think when that Senate hearing happened, I think that was the initial start of the rebound. Do yeah. you guys agree? I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I think it's more so. It more so could have been like really, really bad if like the news came oh, out it and it would, it, it would have crashed to way beyond the levels that it was at. Yeah, I'm not saying, but I don't think I can apply that logic to saying that because it was a good response that that's the reason for the bounce. I don't think it was the only reason. Yeah, but I think oh, that's yeah. around the same time as it started to come yeah. back. Was like, oh, this positive announcement. Finally, there's some good news. Okay. Although a lot of the bad news has been just total, it's just been inaccurate. Yeah. Like the South Korea stuff, people, oh, they're banning crypto completely. And then the actual minister of finance or was in, in South Korea actually comes out and says, no, we're not banning this. But people still think that they're, they're banning. buying the dip. Yeah, exactly. The actual Giancarlo quote was, we owe it to this new generation to respect their enthusiasm about virtual currencies with a thoughtful and balanced response, not a dismissive one. Yeah. Wow. And so, I saw also the end of that, um, you know, Q kind of said, it's not a great ending to that hearing at the end when um, the ultimate griller in the Senate is usually like Elizabeth Warren uh, from Massachusetts. And she was talking about how the SEC has never barred investors who've been cheated from bringing class action lawsuits with reference to the fact that you can't bring a class action lawsuit to some random ICO mm-hmm. where a lot of people lost their money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think at the, end of the, at the end of the day, people who really know crypto, this didn't really scare you because this is just new ground. But if you're an investor, even if you're an accredited investor, you know that you may lose all your money anyway. You know this is risky stuff. 
Um, like at the end of the day, you're not just throwing you know ten dollars into Coinbase. Some some people are really trying to make a living off of this stuff, and you it's, it's a risk. I mean, this whole thing we're talking about crypto in general is a risk. So the fact that the Senate is even talking about that is bullish yeah. to me. One hundred percent. It's also cool, like. It's cool to see it get this legitimate that they're having conversations about it in the Senate. Like, not that it only takes the government to say something for it to be legit, because it's legitimized a lot over the last couple of years. But it's cool to see. I think it's really inside that interview. Uh, he talked about having heard about Bitcoin or having learned about cryptocurrency from his family members, really? from his nieces and and nephews, <laughs> some type of which I think is so important. Grandpa Giancarlo, please. I, I was, I was, what, I was what surprised you, his niece didn't get doxxed. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be following her in a second. Well, they would, yeah, they're going to dox them if they think it's something negative. That's probably uh, positive. Yeah, that's yeah it was a very positive thing. I'd be giving her props. It's, yeah. but exactly, man. Like, think about how, like, she changed. Nah, I'm getting way too existential right now. But, like, effective. yeah, it's the butterfly effect. What if he didn't have those younger people in his family that were forward thinking and he just felt like every other person over 50 yeah. that's in the government? I mean, a friend of mine who's a, in traditional finance bought Snap because his kids told him they were using Snapchat all the time. And then Snapchat went up and it's like, oh, great. So yeah. People listen to their family, especially their kids. And yeah. What if she was bearish on Bitcoin? Exactly. And was evil and told him, like, would it have been a totally different hearing? Exactly. That's so, interesting. I think the, the question we really have to pose is like, is crypto the most interesting thing in the world? And I think it's a hell yes. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I, I haven't talked to anybody about anything other than crypto <laughs> since, since the beginning of like <laughs> December. And I, I mean, even when I'm in an Uber and you know yeah. I work at ICO Alert, you know, obviously I want to talk about it. But you know, people, the, the conversation comes out of nowhere everywhere I go. I mean, people are all talking about. Yeah. It. Wow. Because it's, it's pretty wild. Because it's positive. I, I just yeah, every other piece of news. Yeah, you think about that. Anybody wants to talk about it is negative. negative. Yeah. It's either, you're talking either about Trump. That's why I don't watch or You're talking about shootings. You're talking yeah. about nah. all of that stuff. I saw that on Twitter. It was like about the shooting, which a horrible tragedy. Of course, I'm not trying to diminish that in any way. But I feel like we spend too much time. Maybe this is off topic, but as a society focusing on the negative shit, where if you just focus on what's relevant to you, like obviously horrible tragedies happen and we should we should all do whatever we can to help those. But I think it's it can really affect your mental health if all you're doing 24-7 is consuming negative information. Whereas if you step back and maybe don't watch the news every day and you know focus on the things that make you happy versus make you scared to go outside, I think you'd just be a little better off. It's funny you bring that up because Facebook actually Facebook actually was talking about mental health and how they want to you know, change their algorithm again because they're putting up too much news and negative stuff. Um, right after they said, this is two weeks after they said they were going to ban all crypto advertising. And, and Facebook's desperate for advertising. Like, yeah. So the fact that they're doing that, they're trying to switch their algorithm, is they know that their platform is making people sad. Yeah. So, and now that there's no crypto on it, people are becoming even more sad. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the whole reason I quit Facebook is because it's just everybody posting like the most vitriolic shit. Yeah. Like they go to the grocery store and somebody bumps their cart and then they do a whole rant on Facebook and transfer all that negative energy to you when you read it. Like, yeah. this bitch at the grocery store bumped my cart and I yeah. spilled the milk and fuck them for ruining my like I don't want to hear about that. Like, I, I joined Facebook to see photos of my family and like vacation, which is what it used to be, and now it's just like let me tell you how bad my day was. Like, okay, right. it's fantastic. I, I just came up with a new way to make a bunch of money. So uh, so the CFTC just put out a statement on pump and dumps for a new whistleblower program. <laughs> no way, really? Which the CFTC is the Commodity Futures Trading Commission here in the United States. So they put out a, a bounty for uh, whistleblowing pump and dumps. I'll read it. Uh, virtual currency and digital token pump and dump schemes continue because they're mostly anonymous. 
If you have information that leads to a successful enforcement action that leads to monetary sanctions of $1 million or more, you could be eligible for a monetary award between fit or between 10 and 30% of their fine that they get at from whistleblowing this pump and dump. I don't know about Whistleblower.gov. Wow. Telegram and beware. Everybody, yeah, that's good. Everybody, when you grow up, your mom says, hey, don't be a snitch. It's like, this. if the, what they're doing is illegal, you know, whatever. But Here's my question, because this is this kind of goes back to our first roundtable. We were talking about the philosophy of the shitcoin, right? Yeah. And, like, how shitcoins are subjective, right? I mean, if you invest into an ICO, I mean, it's like a startup. You don't know if they're going to do great or, do, or they suck. Mm-hmm. If the company is just not successful, you know, is and they just, it's a pump and a dump, you know, in a certain way where the company just didn't fulfill their needs based on whatever kind of existential, you know, circumstances that came in. How can you, you know, somebody's going to blow a whistle on that potential. Right. When I think of pump and dump, I'm thinking of these, like, paid telegram groups where they it's tell you what to buy on your cell targets and stuff. And they have, yeah. like, 20,000 yeah. followers in these groups, and I have no idea how anyone follows for it's it It's just anymore. interesting to me that, that the approach they took to crack down on, like, the market manipulation is, like, let's get snitches. It's so impossible, though, because, like, you could be in these telegram groups and it's still anonymous. It's attached to a phone number. Oh, I know that my friend is running this group and you rat him out like a whore. Connect! (laughs) I think that's an important part, Ryan, because there's a difference between a bad idea and a scam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what people don't get right now is that they see a bad idea and they're like, oh, that must be a scam. Well, there's bad ideas in business all the time. But people go through it. No one's going to call them a scam. Yeah. So I think that's an important you, part. You look at just any small like business statistics in general. Most businesses fail. fail. Yeah. To, to think that every ICO is going to succeed is insane. That's like thinking every bar or restaurant that opens going to succeed. Mm-hmm. Truth is, 80 to 90% of them are going to fail. And it's going to be the same with crypto. Um, CoinMarketCap has an awesome feature. It's like a historical snapshot. You could look at the rankings on coin market cap from any time frame within like the last, I think since 2013. Just looking at it from one year ago, you wouldn't even recognize a lot of the coins in like the top 25. Yeah. What were like, some of the ones that you talked about? Do you remember that? I'd, I'd have to pull it up, but like some of them are still there. Like obviously the Steam, it's the Litecoins, the Bitcoins, the Ethereums are still there, the Ripples. But there are just a bunch of coins that are just like shit coins now that were in the top 20 last year. Wow. Interesting. Just one quick shout out, BitShawn underscore. So BitShawn underscore uh, said, awesome, really enjoyed the last one. And he's talking about in relation to our round table last time. So shout out to you. Thanks, BitShawn. We appreciate it. Yeah, There's a lot of a lot of comments. Yeah, a lot, a lot of comments. A lot of comments. So, what else do people say? Uh, I think we've been through all of them. I think w- the last one we got was from Crypto's Batman, and he wants us to talk about Neon Exchange, Tomo, Tomo Coin, Go Network, or Seal. Does anybody know Seal? I Seal, couldn't get yeah. into the whitelist. Uh, the Google form yesterday was clogged up. I don't really know much about it. I, I, Seal claims to be another. Gen 4 Gen blockchain. 4 blockchain and be highly scalable, but I don't know, maybe they are. They, they had an insane amount of people wanting to be on their wait list. I, yeah. I didn't hear about it until it was kind of late. Like, I'm, I'm, You probably know more about it than I do. Their website looked like crap. That was kind of a red flag to me. For how, how much people knew about it and wanted to invest in it and get on the wait list, I feel like they could have did a better job on their website. I know yeah. that's a little... I mean, I'm just incredibly biased. So when I see like a especially a new ICO that's like, we're going to solve all the scalability issues. I just, I just always go back to EOS. That's yeah. just, I'm, but yeah. I'm biased. Yeah. 
I feel like there's too much that they have for an incumbent to now take over, especially once the blockchain launches in June. Like these projects don't have a billion dollars committed in capital. They don't have Novogratz and Eric Schmidt as VC partners. They don't have. There's so much that the new ones don't have. It'll make it a lot harder to be one of those. I think. I think the scalability. If anybody's investing into ICOs, I mean, that's another thing that kind of we're talking about into how you can tell if it's a good project or not. If you've ever started a business or you've watched Shark Tank, you know, scalability is actually one of the most difficult things yeah. in business in general. So if you start a lemonade stand, you know, and, you know, your, your son, your, two, your sons are starting a lemonade stand, you know, maybe it's easy to sell 10 cups of lemonade a day, but if you ask them to sell 100 or 1,000, how would they do that? Yeah. I mean, that's an incredibly difficult question. So with crypto, when you have an unlimited amount of scalability with every single person on the internet being a potential user, I mean, scalability is a very, very serious question. And if somebody's saying, oh yeah, we already developed a great plan for scalability, probably not is the answer until you've heard from somebody who really knows what they're talking about and proved it, like the EOS team and, and Walton Chain or some other companies that are kind of that have proven that they have groundbreaking new generation technology that is capable of doing it based on the surveys of experts. Just, Definitely. just to be devil's advocate here, they haven't necessarily proven everything that they've talked about yet. Right. I mean, everything so, that they've said that the, that will be implemented on the test net, for yes. example, is there, and they've proven a hundred thousand transactions per second on a live blockchain with yeah. something like Steemit, which is the same tech. But mm -hmm. you're right. I mean, it's not all proven. Yeah, and I think Walton, I think EOS and Walton Chain are two of the better coins. So I'm not trying to. Talk on that no, at all, but devil, devil's advocate is yeah. good. We need it. Going back yeah. to the mainstream acceptance, like there will be no mainstream acceptance until the technology is above and beyond what we currently have available with centralized databases. I think we're also misunderstanding what mainstream acceptance might look like. like I think a lot of people think of it as like, oh, everybody's going to own Bitcoin. I, but I think a lot of it is like, it's really just going to be somebody using a DAP on an EOS or a Walton chain or whatever it may be, and they don't even realize that they're using that DAP. Steemit's the best example of yeah. that. You could be an, a reader, a regular reader on Steemit or, or their video channel DTube, and not even know you're on a blockchain. If you don't have an account on there and you're not trying to earn Steam dollars or Steam credits, then you don't even know you're on a blockchain. You feel like you're on a blog. Yeah, it's really kind of crazy. Every comment and like and downvote, all that stuff, when you log in, it's sending a the transaction of the blockchain, everything's on a blockchain, which is pretty crazy. And it still functions like a like red. And, and it are, doesn't go down. And those are kind of like it's kind of changing the way we look at reward programs, mm -hmm. right? Because you just get a, you get rewarded for using it. So like going back to Adamant, that ICO, they want to give everybody 0.5, 0.49%, I mean I mean 4.9 of a of a coin so that they can play around and do messages on their instant messenger. Uh, same thing with Viewly. Viewly, if you make a video, if you upload a video, you actually get 50 view tokens or 100 or something like that. If you watch your first three videos, you get 10 tokens for each of those. So if you're just going around there and you're just perusing different, you know, channels and just watching, just binge watching, you're actually getting paid tokens. It's, you're you're pretty familiar with these video decentralized systems and it, it, they're very necessary because if you, if you think about YouTube, there's, there's a lot of people who, who have a big following on YouTube and that's their main source of income. Um, YouTube only offers you those uh, special like payment packages if you have a certain amount of followers and subscribers and things like that. And there, there's been numerous cases where, for, for sometimes silly reasons, uh, a YouTube with, with a big a YouTuber with a big following will get that program yanked out from under them. That, yeah. That's their whole source of income. And it's it's crazy how it really affects more of the smaller YouTubers, like because it'll be a wide policy change. For example, with the PewDiePie thing of him making potentially distasteful dope jokes that were like Nazi jokes or whatever, but. It, 
the, the context that the Wall Street Journal presented it made it seem a hell of a lot worse than it was. And because of that and the advertiser backlash of, oh, we don't want to advertise here, it didn't really hurt PewDiePie. He, he's even said he, he added a mid-roll to his video and now he's making the same amount of money as he was before. But it hurt all the small channels who are the ones that are out there grinding, that are working another job, and maybe this is a way to pay you know another part of their rent. Or I mean, I think YouTube used him as a scapegoat and they use anybody as a scapegoat because if you really look at um, the video sharing program, YouTube takes advantage of you as much as they can. Yeah. I mean, they're owned by Google guys. They're not some friendly little company yeah. that's trying to make their way. They're they're the media, they're the internet, and they want to make sure that no other video sharing program is monetizing video more than them. I mean, if you go on Google and you search, how much does it cost to you know host my own videos or to do my other things, the, the good advice is all the way at the bottom of the search result, okay? So it's not easy to do that. And you think about companies like Vimeo, right? Where's Vimeo? I mean, Vimeo is just like, it's like, you know, they're, I don't think they're making too much profit, but um, when you look at these decentralized video programs, they're, they're going to disrupt the makeup industry. I mean, think about visual artists. Everybody knows, you know, uh, uh, somebody who puts on makeup and watches makeup videos and they just yeah. look at them all day. That market is like an $87 billion market. And they're all trying to find some, an alternative to YouTube because they're all getting screwed. Yeah. They actually took off the channel. Only reason to know this is because of my fiance. Uh, it's okay off. if you watch makeup channels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love makeup. I love makeup. Uh, but but I, was, I was reading about uh, one particular guy who's a makeup star. His name is Jeremy Starr, actually. And um, they were basically the reference is that if you are making tons of money on these makeup channels, it was because there was a channel on YouTube called Beauty. And apparently a little while ago, they took off the beauty channel because YouTube didn't know how to monetize it because these people were making money because they're saying, oh, come buy my you know, cell phone case so you can take better selfies or come buy my makeup. Huh. And YouTube wasn't making any money off of that. So they, took so they just it. shut it they down. They just removed it. So now <laughs> they're, just, so they're back up. in the abyss of just random videos. There, so there's crazy. a few companies just, they, they wield a lot of power. I mean, yeah. Facebook just banned ICO ads a week or two ago. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean, was I mean even just think about Facebook or Google's algorithm what they can choose to show and not show and it's it's really you, you're crazy. trusting that they they're not bad actors and, and we hope that they're not but Google could single-handedly swing an election by just uh, having biased results if if you're searching for advice on who to, who to vote for like yeah. whoever's at the top is is going to get the most clicks. I mean that's why I mean a lot of it comes down to freedom of speech too just with the YouTube stuff like somebody will post a controversial video even about YouTube and YouTube will delete it and it's like well absolutely do we even have free I mean obviously it's a private platform so they can choose what they want but it would be nice when all this is decentralized that then the creators can really create what they want without somebody telling them no that that can't be on the platform. Yeah, I mean what's the I mean Everybody's experienced having something weird happen on their Facebook, a privacy setting changed or somebody, you know, that just something is missing or like, uh, and, and I think that's, I mean, I left Facebook as a platform as well. I mean, I, as soon as they talked about, um, this, I did actually a week before they said they were going to be banning the crypto ads because when, you know, I joined ICO Alert, we were going to put the crypto minute up there mm -hmm. and we started trying to run advertisements on Facebook. And I have over you know 2,000 followers in the time on Facebook, and the video was up for two days, and I put up about $50 in advertising just to see how it would work, and I had 31 views on those videos. And I know if I put any other con content on my page, that's a ridiculously low number because I had another comment, um, a status, the, like maybe an hour before I put up the video, mm -hmm. and that had 151 likes. So you're, which, what I'm asking Facebook is like, do you think that we don't know that you're like, you know, affecting crypto, like Google, we know that you're doing that too. We know that you're yeah. watching us, but we're watching you too, guys. Right. Like, yeah. That's what's so weird about a lot of this. Like, 
when it's possible for them to be disruptive with something, it might just happen very quickly. Like all these YouTubers who hate YouTube now for making all these decisions, if suddenly a DTube gets popular or something gets popular, everybody just switches and then YouTube but dies. Like we, I said mm-hmm. before though, it's not gonna happen until that new technology is better yeah. Yeah. Than, than the current one. You need a good you generalized blockchain platform. Yeah. I know bef- before uh, we had spoke about maybe uh, talking about some ICOs. So I know that we're wrapping up kind of here, but I know Joe maybe uh, wanted to talk about one of the ICOs that he invested in this week. Uh, sure. So it co- kind of goes off Ryan's point about uh, you know viewing, viewing networks and being decentralized. So one of the ICOs that caught my attention the last two weeks was this ICO called Current. And going back to what we talk about when we look for like a junk ICO or a good ICO, um, a lot of what I look for was something that um, you know is already in the marketplace. Um, and, and isn't relying on the ICO funding to put out their MVP, but it's really just to to get to more of a sort of, as a marketing campaign um, to get the word out to you know uh, gain mass adoption. So this current token um, it operates as, as an app that aggregates all of your music content, whether it be from YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, and allows you to pull music from all these different platforms into one app and actually rewards users in the current token for consuming media. Um, so it's, and the, the, the reason why I really like this ICO is that it's not looking to displace Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, or all of these platforms. It's looking to work with them to actually, and allow the user to pay, to pay for their subscriptions to these platforms in this token by rewarding people in the same way that Steam rewards people for posting and liking and commenting on, on, um, on blog posts. And real quickly, full disclosure, Current paid us, paid ICO Alert for some promotion, but did not pay Joe to say this. <laughs> it's Joe's own opinion on the ICO, but keep going. Yeah. And another thing about it is that, uh, one thing we didn't touch on is that when evaluating an ICO, one of the things I look at, which could be a little shallow, is uh, social media following. So uh, I noticed that Telegram went from about, they had about 80,000 uh, Telegram followers, and they went to about 100,000 in, in you know a day or two. And that kind of just, uh, stuck out at me as something that uh, was interesting. Also, Mark Cuban is one of their advisors, so... Um, <laughs> there it is. That's the real the reason. <laughs> so, but the, the reasons I gave, plus those two superficial reasons, is, is, is why I decided to participate. I actually, I actually love that you, you said that one part where they're not trying to like displace anybody because that's what you see in a lot of these ICOs where they're making these bold claims like we're replacing Facebook, you know, we're yeah. the new Facebook. There's nothing I hate more than going on to an ICO and saying the world's first. Like that stuff just drives me insane. So I like that. It's not. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the practical aspect of, oh, we're going to be used with these platforms. That's where I think the the good ICO, like I'm not going to say it's good or bad if they do that, but I like that transparency. Yeah. It's extremely rare that you'll be the first of anything. (laughs) Extremely rare. I mean, and especially like Bitcoin is the first cryptocurrency supposedly, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be the best always. I mean, we're well, all looking was, at what's the heir apparent. And yeah. before that, there was even, what was it, Hash Cash or Big something? Big gold. Big gold. Big gold, yeah. That kind of had, kind of was Bitcoin. That wasn't Sabo. Who created that? It was the, uh, God, what it was, was Nick it? Sabo, yeah. Was it? The real Satoshi. The real Satoshi. <laughs> <laughs> One of the people who speculated yeah. it might be Satoshi. If it's nice. not the NSA. That's time. Awesome. Well, we have uh, a hard stop here at the kind of the hour mark, but thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, we did get through a lot of questions. Thank you if you if you sent us a question or a topic you want us to talk about. Thank you. We really appreciate it. We'll do another tweet um, two weeks from now. It'll be Friday. Um, pull up the calendar. 
We'll be back on Friday, March 2nd for our third roundtable. We're going to do them on kind of an every other week basis right now. Maybe we'll increase the weekly once we get our, our whole podcast studio built out and we can all have our own mic and make it sound a little better. Um, but thank you all for listening. Thanks, guys. When are we going to be doing Token Fest? Let's oh, yeah, we'll be at Token Fest uh, in San Francisco. If Boom. you're in the area, uh, I believe it's 14th and 15th, uh, Wednesday and Thursday, um, in San Francisco. Really cool venue, a lot of great speakers. Um, I'll be speaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are some other people who will probably have much uh, much more exciting ideas to share. Draper. Um, yeah, right. yeah, Draper will be there. A lot of big people will be there, and it, it should just be a great time to, to kind of network with the community and, and talk about what we love, uh, which is crypto. So, hope to see you guys there. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I sincerely appreciate it. If you'd like to request someone to be on the podcast in the future, tweet us at ICO Alert and let us know. Most of our guests are requests from listeners just like you, so we review every single recommendation that comes through in our Twitter feed. Uh, we'll look at everything. So if there's a lesser-known project that you think we should cover, you know, let us know. Maybe we'll have them on the podcast. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and be the first to hear our new episodes. And also, don't forget to check out ICOalert.com to see the only comprehensive list of active and upcoming ICOs. I'm your host, Robert Finch, and I'll be back next week with a brand new episode.